Grace and peace to you from our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to tell you what I saw this week. Tuesday morning, we were walking over the border into Tijuana, Mexico. We were with a delegation of about 200 bishops and pastors and church leaders from across the United States and accompanied by the Methodists and Lutheran churches in Mexico. We gathered in a place called Friendship Park, which used to straddle the border wall, where families and friends used to meet, hold hands, share food and gifts. It was originally just a simple barbed wire fence. 1994 was renovated to include a 14-mile steel barrier. Security increased after 2001, of course. In 2009, the park was closed down and a new parallel fence constructed that extends 300 feet into the ocean. And the 20-foot border patrol access road cuts through the place where families used to gather for picnics and worship services, yoga classes, and more. Access is now controlled by the government, is open for limited times on the weekends. And in fact, the group of Lutherans that was going to meet us on the U.S. side of the fence, including our bishop, Deborah Hutterer, was prevented from gathering with us, we were told, due to recent flooding. In 2012, a layer of wire mesh was added to keep anyone from passing their hands or items through, only allowing for the touching of fingertips. Pastor Heidi Newmark preached there and shared some of the history of this barrier as we gathered to worship, and we shared the peace of Christ. Not by shaking hands as we normally do, but by touching fingertips. And I knew the time there would be emotional. I knew there would be restrictions. It was not what I expected. It was heart-wrenching. It was restrictive. It was imposing. And spotlights and cameras stared down at us from tall towers. And then the helicopters showed up. And they hovered over this gathering of Christians. The drone that flew over the gathering of faith leaders hovered to take pictures as we shared bread and wine and encountered Jesus in that place. Robert Frost wrote something there is that doesn't love a wall. Could not help but notice how the ocean crept up and washed away the sand and the salt air ate away the steel barrier. And how the winds battered the wall built to mark and restrain a people once united. It was a transformative experience for so many gathered there to see something like that, to be there and to pray with people and families and workers and those affected by not just the wall, but all the factors that contribute to the mass migrations of the last few years. It doesn't leave you the same. Later that day, we spoke with mothers and children at Institución Madre Asunta. Some of them were fleeing violence, some seeking a better economic future. And so I talked with a few boys seated to eat lunch at a picnic table, and they were from Michoacan, and they were about the same age as some of the students in our confirmation class. I talked about their lives, and they didn't speak very much English, they told me. They had classes available back home, but were not able to learn English while they were staying in the shelter at Tijuana. One surprise for me was to find mothers and children from Haiti. 
and their little ones migrating through Mexico to find a better life. The young children played just like our children do, unaware of the pain of the parents, adapting to the challenges, their own kind of resistance. The walls and the fences transform the landscape, but not the hearts of the people divided by it. A shelter is a place to breathe, to rest, to seek help, and to find allies for the struggle ahead for so many families. Next door is the men's shelter. As we arrived, they were lined up around the block for lunch. They're allowed to stay there for 30 to 45 days. They end up finding jobs. There are six jobs to every capable worker there. People of the city go about their days doing what they can to provide, and Jesus is there. This question Jesus asks his disciples, he asks each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Even among the disciples at that time, there were competing theories. Jesus was being compared to John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe one of the minor prophets. Scripture notes that Enoch was assumed into heaven, not buried in the earth. Could he have returned? People are saying lots of things while they like to talk, don't they? They might be afraid and they wonder what Jesus is really up to. Peter thought he had it figured out. He correctly claims Jesus is the Messiah. Ding, ding, ding. Come on down, Peter. You're the big winner. But once Jesus tells them this means he was going to suffer and die, only to rise again, well, Peter tries to tell Jesus otherwise. It's not what they had in mind. Jesus explains that suffering would be in all their futures. And the shame and pain of public execution at the cross would be where Jesus would fulfill God's mission. And they still were surprised when it came. They were afraid. How could they not be? Remember, Peter was crucified as well. Jesus was asking them to lay down their lives too. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Jesus was leading them down a path they could not have expected, asking them for something they were not sure they could give. We can't blame Peter. He tries to reason with the Lord. He doesn't want anything to happen to Jesus. He wasn't going to let anything get in the way of his story, his expectations, his plan for how things were going to go down. And with harsh words, the Messiah tells him to back down. Get behind me, Satan. You think you know what's right? You're only looking after yourself. There's so much more at stake here. He has some harsh words for the world, too. This adulterous and sinful generation. No, Jesus isn't shy about choosing sides. He's not concerned about overthrowing one empire, but about transforming the whole cosmos. No, Jesus doesn't leave Peter there, but seems to give him some assurance. Some of you are going to understand this sooner rather than later. As if to say, let me show you. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain. At that place, Mount Horeb, you could see a long way. Anybody been there? Yeah. I 
talked with my friend Khadr. He's from Beit Jala in Palestine and was there with us at the wall. He's a pastor in Brooklyn and works with the ELCA, Arab worshiping communities. I asked him what he thought about this wall. He kind of chuckled and said, well, it's just like back home where a barrier in the West Bank will separate 50 families from their land, from their livelihoods, from the people they love. Who do you say that Jesus is? Friend, hero, priest, king, prophet? Jesus is all of that. Jesus is the one who frees us, our liberator, the light of the world, the living word. The beloved of God, the only begotten Son who saves us from sin and death and the worst of ourselves. Jesus doesn't demand loyalty, doesn't come to force us to submit, but gives us freedom to love our neighbors. Gives us his word to trust in the goodness and mercy of God to lead us in faith. That we would see the beauty of God's grace and promises that the kingdom of God has come with power. Can we see it? We begin to see this kingdom as a present reality when we have faith. And we don't trust in the works that we do, and, but the love of God that has given us through a very real cross on which hangs the Savior of the world. We are in this world and we suffer along with it so often in so many ways but in faith, we know and we cling to the promise of abundant life that God has given us. Jesus doesn't leave us either. Jesus seems to say, let me show you. And is leading us, still showing us the way, still giving us glimpses of this kingdom. Beloveds, many of us have been meeting recently in cottage meetings and discussing how we want to invite people into this faith community. And we wonder what our future will look like. Some of the ones that we have loved so well have died. Some have moved away. And we can get frustrated and fearful and impatient. And I feel it too every day. And I read this story about Jesus leading Peter and James and John up that mountain and showing them something. He didn't show everyone. And they don't get to stay there and have a party with Moses and Elijah. They're not there to have a conference and meetings about church growth. They get to see the radiance and glory of God there in Jesus' own face. And it's amazing to them. It's confusing. It's bewildering. They're terrified, in fact. But that voice of God speaks. As if to calm their spirits, instructs them, gives them direction. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. To listen to Jesus when so often the things we do are motivated by fear or to avoid pain. Because there are so many things that can make us angry or afraid. We get frustrated. We hurt each other. We build walls and fences and barriers around our hearts. In the face of injustice, we might stay quiet, try to keep the peace. 
We confess the ways we have turned away from people in need because it was inconvenient to help at the time. Or we hide our true selves out of fear and self-preservation. And all the works we do to glorify ourselves, to make ourselves seem great, to achieve, to earn, to climb social ladders, truthfully, they're all for empty reasons. But our motivation matters. Who or what is leading our hearts? Is Jesus leading? Because we can do anything. We can feed the hungry. We can welcome everyone in the world, share all we have, and serve every soul who comes through those doors. But if Jesus is not leading us, then our works are for nothing. They're meaningless, wasted, evil. If we're inviting and desiring to see this church grow, it must be for the right reasons. We love our church. We want it to grow. We want to see these old pews filled with friends and neighbors and children and parents and grandparents. And we want to continue to gather with the ones we love and carry on the legacy of the ones who came before us. I get it. I know it. We want others to know they're not alone. That they are loved by God and freed in Jesus to love and serve one another. To know that grace breaks down human barriers and crosses borders. And that we are ones who get to show God's love and share kindness and compassion. That all nations have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and given the promise of abundant and eternal life. This is good news. This is the reason we want to invite people in. To welcome them into this place. To hear God's promises. This is the reason Jesus is leading us from here. To be the grace-living, peace-giving, hope-sharing body of Christ. Because there are people in this city that are afraid, are in need of a friend, in need of a good neighbor, in need of the hope we have in Jesus. Peter and James and John, they hear this voice of God. This is my beloved. Listen to him. And they truly see Jesus transformed, transfigured, shining in God's glory right in front of their faces. And then they leave. And they head back down the mountain. And they get to be the ones to share the story. To tell what they've seen. With Jesus leading them all the way to the cross. And then beyond. Amen.